If I ask you to name someone very courageous, some, some people who are very courageous in what they do, I think a lot of people would immediately think of some who have dangerous jobs to perform. For instance, we might think of policemen who are called out in the line of duty and face real dangers in their line of work, or firemen who race into a burning building to save someone who's trapped there in, in the inferno. Or certainly when we think of courageous people, we might think of people in the military. And, and there are many stories of those who have done heroic, heroic, I'll say that right, heroic things uh, in trying to save their comrades, for instance, from some danger. And so we have a pretty good idea in our mind about courage and people who manifest courage. If we were to ask folks on the street to name courageous people, I think they would name that sort of people, police, firemen, soldiers, and so forth. But as Bible-believing people and those who fear God, I think our minds are also led to think of some great heroes of faith in the Bible who manifested great courage. Uh, and certainly, that's the most important realm of all, serving God. And those who, throughout time, have done that, even in the face of tremendous opera, uh, opposition, those people demonstrated great courage. And we want to talk about that kind of courage today. Not the courage of a soldier who goes off in battle physically, but the courage of someone who's devoted to serve the Lord. And the instruction to us from the Word of God is that we are to be strong and of good courage. This is not talking about fighting physical battles with sword and spear, but rather talking about the spiritual battles which are before us, we need strength and courage. And we want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. We stop for just a minute to thank everybody for being here. We have a lot of people away from us on this Lord's Day, but we are glad that you're here. And we have visitors to sort of fill in some of those blanks, and we're glad for the visitors who've come our way. Thanks to everybody for being here. We're glad that you've come. We hope that we are all encouraged and build up by the time that we spend together, build up in spiritual things, as we're saying. Those are the most important ones. But also, we hope that God will be glorified by our service today, and we pray that will be the case. Thanks to everybody for being here with us today. When you think of being strong and courageous, I hope your mind is drawn to the text that Arthur read for us earlier from Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses has just died. That's got to be a devastating thing to the people of Israel. Uh, Moses has been their great leader. He's the one that brought them out of slavery in, in Egypt. And, and they've been looking to him. Now, they've complained, and they've griped, and they've had a lot of grievances. But Moses has handled all of that, and he's been a very effective leader of God's people. But he's dead now. And the leadership of the Israelites falls to Joshua. And you've got to think that that would have been an incredibly intimidating assignment for Joshua to take on this leadership following in the footsteps of Moses. And so the instruction of the Lord was, Be strong and of good courage, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. We could spend our whole time talking just about these verses. We don't intend to do that, but I do want to point out a few things here. Notice that it was very important for Joshua, as he accepted this new assignment, to observe to do all of the law. I think it's interesting that he's saying, be strong of good courage, and it's relating 
to doing the will of God. You be brave. You be courageous. You do the will of the Lord. And so it does take courage to do the will of the Lord. We understand that. It always has. It did in the case of Joshua, and it does for us as well. And notice, Joshua would need to be courageous constantly. You can't compromise. Even when things get tough and the going is hard, notice he says, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. Don't compromise in doing the will of God. I'm sure that in the case of Joshua, as he led the children of Israel and as they went into various battles and different situations arose, it would have been a very tempting thing to compromise a little, give a little here, give a little there. After all, you've got to accommodate people. might have been the mindset, but not Joshua. He was told, you observe all the law. You do not turn from it. You do not compromise it at all. And the promise of God is, then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Uh, a wonderful promise that God would be with him, conditioned upon doing all the law, don't turn from it at all. Those same instructions are, are very pertinent to us. We need the strength and courage to serve God faithfully. Just as Joshua needed courage to leave the children of Israel and take them into the promised land to conquer it, we need strength and courage to do God's will in our lives as well. And I just want to talk with you for a few minutes about some of the areas. Now, we could probably multiply these uh, different areas that I want to talk about. You could add to the list uh, a lot. I just want to talk about some of the areas where it's going to take courage for us to be the kind of faithful servants of God that we ought to be. Again, we're not fighting physical battles, but we're, we're engaged in a great spiritual battle. And that being the case, we need to be strong and courageous. We need to have courage when we are in the minority. Being in the minority is a thing that probably not very comfortable but it is, it is the reality. We are in the minority. We are never going to be popular. We are never going to be in the mainstream of society. The very fact that we are servants of God and we are trying to do what the Bible teaches puts us in a real minority. Jesus acknowledged that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, beginning, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Jesus told us, you're going to be in the minority. I got to tell you, it's not a comfortable thing to be in the minority. It's much easier to go with the flow, go with the crowds, be in the majority, get along, go along, be like everybody else. But God calls us to be different and that puts us in a distinct minority. We've got to be brave to do that. But the fact of the matter is that God's faithful people have always been in a real minority. We could go back and talk about maybe the ultimate example of that in the case of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, beginning, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Everybody was going that way. Notice, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You talk about a minority. Here's Noah and his wife, and his three sons and their wives, eight people in the whole world. There were only eight people who were even coming close to trying to live for God. You think you're in a small minority. and not like Noah, but Noah was bold. He was courageous. He took God's assignment to build the ark. Amazing, amazing act of faith. But Noah is maybe, as I said, the ultimate example of being in the minority in this world. 
Elijah is another great example from the Old Testament. You remember the confrontation that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? He was one man against 450 prophets of Baal. But not only that, all of the Israelites refused to take a stand with him. In 1 Kings 18, beginning verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so it was one against 450, but really it was one against everybody because the Israelites wouldn't stand up and take, a, take a, a stand for God in that situation either. But Elijah had the courage to stand alone, a real minority situation, and yet he was bold and courageous. We need that kind of courage. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament is a similar example. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. And yet, he didn't compromise. And so, uh, as we're saying, all of the great heroes of faith have been in a minority. They stood alone. But that's the very reason why they are our heroes, is that they were willing to take such a stand, even when nobody else would stand with them. So, here we are today. We are really in a minority among all the people of the world, but even here in our own community, among those in our immediate community who are really trying to serve the Lord, we're in a real minority. Have you got the courage to stand up to that? Have you got the courage to continue on, even when we are so few in number, in comparison to those who are going a different direction? Do you have that great courage that we are encouraged to have? Along that same line, we need courage when we are persecuted. Persecution for God's people is not just a possibility, it's a certainty. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We've pointed out from this text before that it's not saying it might happen, it's stating it as a certainty. It's going to happen. If you're living for God, you're going to suffer persecution. I'm going to tell you, suffering persecution takes courage. When people are coming at you to do you harm in one way or another, many of God's people have suffered physical harm. We've not been threatened with that, not yet. But we're still persecuted for the things that we believe and, and, the, and the way that we live and, the, and the, the form of worship that we engage and so forth. There's persecution attached with that. People are going to be littlest and ridicule us. We're not going to be popular. We're going to be persecuted. You need courage. But again, we think of so many in the Bible who showed that courage under persecution. In the book of Daniel, we're so encouraged to read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the king had set up a, a, a golden image. And at the sound of certain music that was played, sort of an alarm bell going off, if you will, as they played this certain kinds of music, Everybody was supposed to bow down to the king's image that he had erected. Well, it was idolatry. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't do it. And so the king called them and basically said, I'm going to give you one more chance. And the next time you hear the music play, you better bow down to my idol. And they answered this way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace. By the way, that was the threat. If you don't bow down, you'll be thrown in the burning fiery furnace. 
He says, God, they said, God can deliver us, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They being persecuted? Yeah, they got thrown in that burning, fiery furnace, didn't they? But they didn't care. They said, we're not careful to answer you about this. We will not bow down to your image. Are we going to have that kind of courage? As I said, you know, persecution against God's faithful people may increase even in our time. Some people are suggesting that they are real indicators of a trend moving in that direction. I think it's quite probable that it is. And that we won't maybe always have the kind of liberty and opportunity and freedom that we've had to worship God according to His will. Maybe there will be roadblocks thrown up against us concerning what we can teach and preach, concerning what we can do and how. Are you determined to have courage to serve God faithfully, even if we are persecuted, even physically, for the things that we do? Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we stay right there in Daniel. You remember Daniel's that uh, episode in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. Here was a situation in which the king had been sort of tricked into signing a proclamation that says for the next many days you can't pray to anybody but the king. Daniel's enemies had tricked the king into doing that because they were trying to get at Daniel. Because they knew Daniel. They knew that Daniel was a man of courage. He would not stop serving his God faithfully. And so they tricked the king into signing this ordinance. What did Daniel do? Daniel 6, verse 7 the king made a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Wherefore, King Darius signed and, uh, the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't change anything. Now, this is real persecution, right? He knows that, he, that doing this will get him thrown into the den of lions. So what do you do? You back down? You stop doing what you've been doing? Because you don't want to go into the lion's den for sure. No. Just like he always did. He kept on praying to God. We know the story of Daniel. Great courage under intense persecution. We need to be ready for that. We need, to, we need to have that kind of determination. In the New Testament, we read about the apostles who called before the Jewish council. This is the Jewish council that was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And it says in Acts 4, verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. By the way, that may be the persecution that comes to us. You stop talking about Jesus. You certainly stop talking about these principles of morality and so forth that are contained in, in the will of Christ, you stop teaching and preaching about Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What an amazing statement of courage on the part of the apostles. We've been in a blessed place. It's not like this everywhere in the world, but we've been in a blessed place where we've been pretty much free to do as we will. Our persecutions have been minor. Uh, they may become more intense, but whatever persecution we face, we need the courage of great Bible heroes to face that persecution. We need courage to confront error. You realize, of course, that we have a job assignment in regards to opposing religious error. 
opposing doctrinal error. It's not just that we have an option to do that if we want to. It's actually that we have an, a job assignment. It's a requirement. It's a command. In Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's our job assignment. And it's not optional. We've got to be willing to contend for the faith. We're surrounded by people in religious error who are teaching and promoting religious error. We're in pretty regular contact with people in our community, neighbors and co-workers and so forth, who are engaged in religious error, who are teaching and promoting religious error. I want to tell you, it's a tough job because we don't like confrontation. I think typically as human beings, we do not like confrontation. And we try to do things to avoid situations of confrontation. But in regards to this, we've got to be willing to engage in confrontation to defend God's truth against error. In Acts chapter 17, we have another example from Paul. And here Paul was in the city of Athens. He was completely by himself. He had, he had gone to Athens. He had left his co-workers behind. And he was literally by himself in the city of Athens it's possible that he's the only Christian in that whole city, and that whole city completely given over to idol worship. They had an idol to everything in Athens. So what do you do? You're the only guy there. All of this pagan idolatry is surrounding you. What do you do? Well, you just keep your head down and be quiet. Don't make a scene. Don't talk about it. Sort of wait it out. No, you, no, use, no use saying anything. This city is totally given to idolatry. No use trying to make a point here. No. That's not what Paul did. Notice in Acts 17, beginning verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, he, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And, and some said, what will this babbler say? There, by the way, is a form of persecution. The name they called him. You do a little reading about that name. It's a pretty nasty name they called him. It doesn't come across in our English translation. Pretty nasty name they called him. Paul, why did you just keep your mouth shut? How much good do you expect to do here in Athens anyway? Just, just keep it to yourself. Don't speak up. Don't, don't combat this pagan idolatry around you. Now, Paul... Paul was courageous to defend God's truth even in the face of such opposition. We need that, we need that courage too. Again, it's easier just to, to let it go, not say anything. But our job assignment is to confront error when we find it. We need the courage to do that. And furthermore, we need courage when it comes even in a, a, among our own number to rebuke those who are in sin. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So here's another requirement of our service, that even when we have a brother overtaken in a fault, that we will go to him in an effort to restore him. I think we all know that in such situations, so we got a brother or a sister in Christ, and, and they've gone off, they're, they're in sin. They're not living right. They're not doing the right thing. 
It's just so much easier to look the other way, isn't it? Just let it go. Maybe sweep it under the rug. But the Word of God tells us that we have a responsibility to go to them seeking to restore them. And that takes courage because you know up front that there's probably a pretty good likelihood that they, that, that person will lash out at you and that they may get angry with you. Uh, it may not go well. Okay. But are we still going to courageously do what we're supposed to do? Because in many instances it does do good and it saves that lost soul. We're going to have the courage to speak up. In the Old Testament, we have the example of King David when he had committed the horrible sin with Bathsheba. And the job of rebuking him fell to Nathan the prophet. You remember how Nathan came to David and told him about the, the man who had just one little ewe lamb and a rich man who had many flocks came and took the, the poor man's one little ewe lamb and, and served it to a guest who had come to his house. David was furious. He was just absolutely incensed at the story that Nathan told him. And then Nathan said, Thou art the man. I'm talking about you, King David. I want to ask you, if you don't agree with me, that that would have taken an incredible measure of courage on the part of Nathan the prophet. This is King David, potentially the most powerful man in the world at that time. Certainly one of the most powerful men in the world. You're going to confront him? You're going to rebuke him? You're going to tell him that he's wrong? You just have your head lopped off. That's all. You're going to be courageous to rebuke King David? Nathan was. We need the courage to rebuke those who are in sin and encourage them to do the right thing. In Galatians 2, we have an example of Paul standing up to Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter. Peter, who'd been with Jesus. To Peter, Paul stands up to him and rebukes him because Peter had sinned. Peter had been very hypocritical. And in Galatians 2, verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He's even going to rebuke Peter. And so it takes courage to rebuke those who are in sin. And as we said, we know going in that very often those kinds of rebukes are not much appreciated. But sometimes they do good. But whether or not they do good or not, it's our job assignment to rebuke those who are in sin. And the reason we do it is because we can't let a brother or sister slip off into sin. Let them be lost eternally without making our effort. It may not work, but we've got to make our effort to try and reach them. How can we let them go off and be lost without some effort to restore them? We need the courage to do that, to rebuke sin. And finally, let me suggest to you that it takes courage to confess our own sin. You know, pretty much, we've, uh, as we've been talking here this morning, we've been talking about others, the situation with others and, and, and ourselves in a different category. But here we're talking about us directly. And with us directly, it takes courage to admit when you've been wrong. Isn't that the case? Nobody likes to admit that they've been wrong. But we need the courage to say so. It's hard, but it's necessary to admit when we have been wrong. Take you back to that episode with David and Nathan the prophet. When Nathan the prophet said to David, Thou art the man. We said that that was a pretty dangerous situation for Nathan because David just said, Grab him, kill him. He could have done that. But to David's great credit, what he said instead is, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't offer excuses. 
He didn't try to weasel out of it. He didn't do anything to avoid the implication. He confessed his wrong. I have sinned against the Lord. We need the courage of David to confess when we have done wrong. It's necessary. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. We need the courage to confess when we've done wrong. I think you can add to this list. I've got five examples there of times when we need courage. God told Joshua, you need to be strong and of good courage because there's a lot of physical battles ahead of you. As you lead the children of Israel into the promised land to conquer it, there are a lot of battles. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. Joshua was, by the way. Joshua did that. Our battles are not physical battles, but we are engaged in a tremendous spiritual battle against the forces of evil. What are we going to do? We need to be strong and courageous. Courageous people act when there's a real challenge before them. Now, you don't prove that you're strong and courageous in peacetime when everything's going on. A fireman doesn't prove he's courageous when he's sitting in the fire hall and there's no fire to fight. A policeman doesn't prove that he's courageous when he's sitting in his patrol car and no calls are coming in. He's, he's got it easy. That's not when he proves his courage. An army soldier doesn't prove his courage when he's sitting in the barracks and it's a nice sunny day and there's no fighting going on. That's not when he proves he's courageous. A soldier proves he's courageous in the heat of the battle. A fireman when he in, enters the burning house. A policeman when he's engaged in conflict with evildoers. For us, we prove our courage when, it, when we're put to the test. Are you courageous when your faith is tested? That's when you've got to prove your courage. What's your situation this morning? Are you courageous for the Lord? We speak first to those who are Christians. We need to be strong and courageous. Have you been doing that? As you're engaged day by day in the battles that living the Christian life brings before you, have you been courageous to serve the Lord? If not, you need to make a new determination that you will build up your faith and determination, your, your bravery, your courage. If you're a Christian but you've let down, I've been serving the Lord faithfully, you need to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. Let us know how we can help. If you're not yet a Christian, you need the courage to step forth and say, I will be for God and I will be on His side. It's not, it's not the popular thing in the world. It's going to line me up with the minority as opposed to the majority, but I'm willing to make that stand because I want to do the will of God in my life. Obeying that simple plan of salvation is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd be glad to assist in your obedience. Let us know how we can help this morning while we stand and sing.